ladies and gentlemen, welcome back um, after a long little mini hiatus. This is part two of O.J. Simpson of Illinois with Bird and Cam. Um, this is your boy Bird, and as always with me, Cam. Cam, how are we doing, my lady? I'm good. I've been extremely busy. I know. Um, I don't know. The moment we started this hiatus till yeah. the end of <laughs> like. <laughs> Literally, <laughs> <laughs> and, and it's kind of kind of funny. Like uh, we were going to record part two last week. Uh, I actually came down to go to, to visit you in St. Louis, and it's the first time. It's funny. We've been doing this podcast for about a year, and we have been doing it. Fuck about. We have been doing it for a year, and that was the first time that I saw you physically since we started the podcast. So. I mean, with all that catching up to do, <laughs> with all that catching up to do, it's like, well, fuck it, we'll just get to it when we get to it. But we can't wait till we've been, we've had this in the bag for a while, and it's still relevant. Twenty-five years today, uh, twenty-five years now. I mean, you got OJ starting up a, a Twitter. And I mean, take that for what you will, and we'll talk about that more near the end of the show. But, um, yeah, thoughts on that first one? We got a lot of feedback, uh, particularly on Facebook. We did, we did. Okay, so I'm so excited. Uh, well, I mean, obviously, it's very, there's, as you can see from all the feedback, there's, uh, it's pretty split down the center, you know. OJ did it, OJ did do it. Um, and then you had various um, comments that went into detail explaining why they believe it was him, why they believe it wasn't him. We had some comments that, you know, stated it's done and over with, stop talking about it, which, you know, we're not going to stop talking about it. Yeah, so, it's, it's, our, it's um, our show. You chose to comment. I mean, we're, we're yeah, we, we do whatever the fuck we want to do. This is Killinois, okay. Yeah, of course, we have to keep talking about it. We have to finish it. Yeah, but, uh, we've left a lot of people hanging. Like, oh, where's part two coming? And this is part two, so... Um, with, yeah, without further ado, um, you ready to do the goddamn thing? I'm ready to do the goddamn thing! And, I mean, do we... Should we get the disclaimer just for all intents and purposes? Yeah, let's let's throw that in there real fast. So, hello, everyone. Thanks for listening to Killing Noi uh, with Vernon Cam. Um, as we always state, all the information we gain is through various reports, including internet reports, police reports, newspaper clippings, things of that nature. If there's anything that seems inaccurate, not right, uh, hurtful, just let us know at Illinois with Bernie Cam. Um, that's the quickest way to uh, get to us. You can also get to us at KPod, which is our actual Facebook page. Still working on the name. Um, and if you're ever in a situation, please call, you know, in a situation where you need help, you know, please reach out, call your local crisis hotline, um, and yeah. Yeah. Since I any more than I can, can do, so without further ado, let's get this motherfucking show on the road. So, we pick up right where we left off in the ass crack of the dawn of midnight of June 13, 1994, Hours after Nicole Brown Simpson and her friend Ron Goldman were savagely murdered, and their bodies were found after Nicole's dog is barking furiously, and before you know it, 
the LAPD of Convergence on the scene, and we discussed how in the previous episode about just how graphic the crime scene is. So, I mean, again, reiter we re reiterate, if you have a strong stomach, and even then, I still suggest that you do not Google the OJ crime scene. Please don't. You're gonna, you're really, gonna, you're, you're gonna hate yourself for doing that. I was out at the bar and told Bird to send it to me, and that was a mistake. Yes, um, you're at a wedding, um, right? Uh, maybe that's what it was. I was somewhere. I think it was a wedding. You're right. Um, and I was like, Jesus Christ! But um, <laughs> we we do want to remind everyone too. You know, on our what we first talked about was uh, the book that OJ uh, has. If I did it. You know, since the murder, um, and we also are speaking of, you know, his interviews since the murder of Nicole Brown and Ron Goldman, um, as well. So this is a little bit of a fast forward to what we were talking about, uh, and we do want to include too that uh, th there could have been botched crime scenes during throughout this, but we'll get we'll get to that. Mm -hmm. So. Um, Let's get back to the Rockingham Mansion of O.J. Simpson. Mm -hmm. And the, the detective Mark Furman uh, found a number of blood in on a white Ford Bronco parked outside. As we talked about in part one, O.J. recalls in his hypothetical scenario how the murders may have occurred. And he drove to Nicole's residence in the Ford Bronco with this quote-unquote Charlie. It would later be revealed that the blood evidence matched that of Nicole... Nicole uh, Brown, Ron Goldman, and OJ. But if, and I guess if, for the theory that perhaps is, if OJ's son Jason was a killer, it could have been his. And for more information on that theory, um, you can find some of that in part one, and we'll, we'll kind of discuss that as well later on in this uh, little series we have. So, Furman then climbs over the wall of the property in order to let the other detectives in. And they justified this action during the trial by stating that they entered Simpson's estate without a search warrant because they thought O.J. may have been in mortal danger. But we know that's not the case because O.J. was headed to Chicago for a sponsored golf tournament. And in Simpson's guest house, detectives found Cato Kalin, O.J.'s housemate. They questioned him and Cato tells police that he heard thumping sounds earlier in the night. And an investigation of the property by Furman produced a second bloody glove. Now, the first bloody glove was found at the crime scene where the, the bodies were uh, discovered. And this glove found on the Simpson estate, which was, according to DNA testing, was soaked with the blood of both victims, was considered to be one of the strongest pieces of evidence that the prosecution would eventually use. But from the get-go, as Cam said earlier, there were missteps made by detectives that would potentially altered the direction of the investigation as time went on. And there was a fingerprint in blood that was found on a gateway in Nicole Simpson's residence. The fingerprint, however, was not properly collected and entered into the chain of custody when it was first located. So the detectives who took over Furman's shift were actually never aware of this fingerprint. And eventually it was lost without ever being collected. So that kind of drives me crazy because there is no communication there. Um, additionally, other items of evidence were also not logged or even entered into the chain of custody, which 
actually gave the impression that sloppy forensic collection and police work had been carried out at the scene, which from what we're stating, it really sounds like the police work was not top notch. Mm-hmm. So the prosecution actually had an expert witness who testified that the evidence was actually often mishandled. Photos were taken of crit- critical evidence without scales in them to aid in measurement taking. Items were photographed without being labeled and logged, and this was making it difficult, if not impossible, to link the photos to any specific area of the scene. The separate pieces of evidence were bagged together instead of separately, which, if anybody knows who listens to forensics, knows that that's cross-contamination. Um, you know, there were also wet packages and items that were, you know, put together before, you know, allowing them to dry. This caused critical changes in the evidence. You know, police even used a blanket, which came from the inside of the house, to cover Nicole Brown's body. So, not only does that take all the DNA from the house, it could have altered all the DNA on all the gloves. And beyond this poor evidence collection technique, sloppy maneuvering, the scene actually caused more bloody shoe prints to be left behind the LAPD than the actual perpetrators. So that's really frustrating. Who's doing this investigation? Chief Wiggum? Seriously, he probably would do it better. Jesus. So, not only were there many claims that the evidence was mishandled in the police lab, but there was also claims that evidence was planted at the crime scene. Now, because the LAPD did not have proper collection documents, regarding O.J. Simpson's blood, it was going to be later argued by the defense that police planted O.J.'s missing blood on critical evidence and in critical areas of the murder scene. And they would go on to say that this blood was found in sam- these, uh, this evidence, so to say, was found in samples of blood of a collected the crime scene. Now, they said um, it was a blood uh, fixer anticoagulant, which is used in labs and mixed with collected blood and if evidence mixed with Simpson's blood showed traces of this anticoagulant the defense claimed that the blood had to have come from the lab which meant that it was planted so you you, you have that there and I mean that's just a pretty that's a wild uh, wild hypothesis to say that I'm blood on where okay so if it came from the lab like, his missing blood, where did they get his missing blood? Mm-hmm. But, however, this anticoagulant is also a chemical that is found naturally in human blood and chemicals such as paint. So, at the time, tests were not available to differentiate between natural and contaminate uh, anticoagulants or the difference in the level of that uh, blood. And some believe that the positive anticoagulant results may have been due to the contamination of the equipment used to run the test. So, you're talking about, ni- this is 1994, and, and DNA and blood tests are still, uh, oh, right, they still, really mm-hmm. I mean, for a while, now, blood tests for a while have been in play to determine, you know, suspects in, in, in crimes of this nature, but it's not as advanced as it is today. Yeah. And it's, 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 like, to us, 1994 seems like it was last week. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but to a lot of people that were born in 2000 and before it's probably a lifetime ago and to me it just it drives me crazy that you know after you know 1994 is after quite a bunch of um serial killers were caught um and it just kind of blows my mind that a big city like this wasn't more well trained in the process of handling a crime scene like that um but we'll discuss that later anyways um at this time oj arrived in chicago and he goes to his hotel room not long after he actually received a call from the lapd cop and as documented in oj's book if i did it the cop tells OJ, I need you to come back to L.A. as soon as you can. And much later during the trial, the prosecution made a big deal about the response to the phone call, claiming that I never bothered to ask what happened in the call, and suggesting that I didn't ask because I already knew. But that's not the way I remember it. When I was told that Nicole was dead, my first response was, the one I just noted, killed, what do you mean killed? And even when I was told that I wasn't going to get any more details, I remembered asking, what happened? What the fuck happened? The cop, to me, just repeated himself, we can't say anything. We're still investigating. And I said, and my kids are all right? And the cop said, yes, as I said, the kids are fine. We need you to come home now, OJ. So, Jesus Christ. So, 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 uh, and we kind of talked about this earlier in part one. When... You, and I guess it's kind of like, what, a guilty conscience or, like, when you, somebody say, okay, your significant other is dead, you don't think, okay, maybe it was an accident or, you know, something to think, oh, it's just automatically assumed that she got killed? Yeah, and, and if you notice, too, because um, I was quoting from OJ's book, that he never explains really goes into detail about what his response was. Mm -hmm. The issue is, that's not a normal response. Right. It's not. not a normal response to anybody. You don't immediately respond to somebody who is, what, in their late 30s, uh, in shape, doesn't have any medical conditions whatsoever, and your first response is, who killed her? Mm-hmm. Or like how it's killed or whatever. That's it's not a normal response. No. If you don't know what happened. Exactly. So the OJ would later go on to say that he went nuts, and he said he remembered screaming at the cop, begging him not to leave him in the dark, but he said it didn't help. And when it came clear that the cops had nothing to say, quote unquote, either because they didn't want to share anything with me or because they didn't know much. I slammed the phone down, stormed into the bathroom, and threw a glass across the room. And it shattered against the till wall, sounding like a gunshot. Now, uh, keep that in mind, uh, when that, that little tidbit I had said, because from that glass, he would get a cut. And it would get debated much, much so during the trial and years subsequent of what the nature of that cut was. Um, the prosecution contends that the cut was due to a defensive wound. And you can see the cut in the mugshot, um, the full mugshot, uh, if you go online. But, um, it again, leads it to interpretation. He says that he threw the glass and 
but who knows? Who knows? Usually you throw glasses across the room when you're angry, not when you're heartbroken. Right. Right. Yeah, I mean, you know, and I guess, I guess we all have our different ways to grieve, especially, you know, in the heat of the moment when you find out that the your the mother of your children, the supposed love of your life, is dead and you have to let out some kind of emotion. Yeah, I guess. I don't know. I just I just find it an odd emotion for when you find out someone died. Yeah. Which which is funny. I can't wait for you to finish um the rest of this conversation because um to me I can I feel like I see oxymorons throughout his entire um, and the irony throughout his entire book. So it just drives me crazy. So he tries to call the cops again and to no avail, but he calls the uh, Browns, Nicole's family, down in Dana Point. Nicole's sister, Denise, got on the phone hysterical and said, according to OJ, you brutal son of a bitch, you killed her. I know you killed her, you motherfucker. Judith, Judith Nicole's mother, took the phone from her but OJ said he couldn't understand what she was saying. OJ had said that she was getting on the next flight. He was getting on the next flight to Los Angeles, and that he would speak to them as soon as he landed. And he said that he dressed, got dressed, and had the porter come up for his bags, and then went down to the lobby and asked for a band-aid because he noticed then that he had cut his finger in the bathroom. So again, it's going back to that cut. I guess he's just putting that there to say, okay. You know, this is, he's reiterating to the reader, this is where I got that cut. Yeah, he seems to specify. Trying to make a point of it. If I get a cut on my finger and I'm in a hurry like that, I'm not looking for a band-aid. But then again, I'm also not a multi-millionaire. So, I can't really say that for myself. But, um, you did notice, or you did skip over when he went back into the room and called his, uh... Assistant. Uh assistant Kathy and what I find kind of funny is he goes into detail to her that you know he says they were she was killed but according to the quote unquote police side the police state that that's how he answered their their remark to her being dead so I just find it funny that you know he tells Kathy that you know they say she she was killed but then you know calls Denise and tried to let him know, like, oh, I don't know what happened, I don't know, I'll let you know, and, I don't know, I just, it just throws me off, but, um, back to OJ and him cutting his finger and realizing he did, um, on his way to the airport, he was fighting panic, and he tried to make a few more calls, um, he stated he tried to reach Kathy again to see if she knew anything else. Uh, OJ actually headed back to L.A., and as he writes, he felt like he was made of glass or something, and that if he moved too much, it would shatter into a million pieces. And that's a interesting, again, to me, I don't know. I don't know what he was feeling or how he's feeling, um, because not the one I've never had a family member, um, you know, be brutally killed, and, um, I don't know if my remark would be, I feel like if I moved, I would, I don't know. I'm looking into that, this. Anyways, um, OJ 
throat talked about how he was trying to control his breathing and he was thinking that my heart was beating all wrong. I guess it was panic. So by the time Simpson is in L.A., he goes to his house, but he's besieged by the cops and reporters. And as captured, there's a famous capture of a police officer putting O.J. in the handcuffs, even though he wasn't formally charged at that point. So that is a prime example of, you know, good old news media and propaganda. Right. Um, and so to set this up from his perspective, O.J. describes this chaotic scene, writing that the reporters were going crazy, snapping pictures, and trying to figure out what was going on. And all I did was look through the gate, back at Bob Kardashian, and he just looked ashen. And when I turned back to the cop and was reaching for his handcuffs, I just looked at him and I said, what the fuck are you doing? I live here. This is my house. And the cop simply said, I'm sorry, Mr. Simpson, I'm going to have to handcuff you. And he immediately said, you ain't going to handcuff me. With a quick response, the police officer said, but Mr. Simpson, and before he could finish, Simpson said, you're going to handcuff me for what? I'm not crazy. I want to talk to someone. Who the fuck's in charge here? And all Bob could do is call out from beyond the gate. And all he said is, what do you want me to do with the bags? And at that time, O.J. sneaked in his book that, hell if I knew, I wasn't thinking about the bags. And again, that's another peculiar comment because the, this bag, these bags play a big role in this trial. So, um, so, so, one of the ba- oh, yeah. so one of the bags was a Louis Vuitton uh, bag that would come, like you said, come highly into play in the preceding months and years as this particular black bag suddenly vanished. And a lot has been speculated as to what was in that bag. Was it bloody clothes? Was it the murder weapon? As it was determined that the weapon used in the attack, the attack was never found. Now, interestingly, the month before, O.J. bought a 15-inch stiletto knife. The knife he said he used for the crazies to Charlie. And I know you guys can't see the air quotes that I'm using. With a stag handle from Ross Cutlery in downtown L.A., near where he was filming the Naked Gun third movie. The third, what was it, Naked Gun 33 and a half. I'm telling you, I still can't, I'm still, I'm still shocked that you've never seen any of the Naked Gun movies. Like, it is, it is up your, it is up your sense of humor. Oh boy, oh, okay, see, I, I, I'll have to get on that. I'll let you know when I see it. Like, yeah, I'm pretty sure it's like, I'll come um, back to the next couple episodes and be like, yo, by the way. So, in 2016, a knife was found buried in a Rockingham location of O.J.'s mansion, which, by that time, he was long gone from. But after much media speculation, the knife was not confirmed to be the murder weapon. Now, for his part, Robert Kardashian has been on record saying that he took the bag home, and he forgot that he had it, and the bag, quote-unquote, remained in the trunk of his car all night, concluding that he never opened it. Hmm. As he said in a 1996 interview with Barbara Walters, it meant nothing in that point. Nothing about the bag came out until after he was arrested, and the bag was sitting, lying open in Mr. Simpson's bedroom in my home. The police were here, searched his room, and the bag was lying open, just the way it was when he left. It's... I just don't understand, like... It wasn't. Like, why is it just this specific bag? If it meant mm-hmm. no purpose, why, why are you beating around the bush? Exactly. Yeah, like, I think it's just... beating around the bush about it, and I find it an odd 
coincidence. Okay, I'll get to that coincidence later. But this this specific bag has far too much than quote unquote media and attention for it to be nothing. Mm-hmm. Like and if it was if it wasn't so much. The other bag. Why did he give all the other bags back, but not that one? Mm-hmm. How no... you forget that one, but no other one? Right. Right. It, it's this is one of those things. It's just a lot of that again. The murder weapon, clothes. Who knows? And yeah. when you have that that ambiguity attached to it, you're always you going to have that, that what if. And that, and you would think that that knife would serve some purpose, or somebody would say something about it. But you know, since he was tried, you know, you can only do so much. But. I don't know. I just, it's far too coincidental. And what I find even more interesting is it took until 2016 until they found a knife that was buried buried in the location. (laughs) Which, they they haven't really gone into detail whether, like you stated earlier, that knife was the murder weapon. But although uh, the LAPD refused to call Simpson, Simpson a suspect, excuse me, suspect, he was the focus of the police investigation from the beginning. The police handcuffed Simpson at his home on Monday, June 13th, and taken to the Parker Center for questioning, and he was released. Simpson actually hired Robert Shapiro on Tuesday. The lawyer later said that an increasingly distraught Simpson became depressed, um, or began a depression treatment. Police gathered evidence during the week, and on Friday, June 17th, Detectives actually recommended based that he be charged with two counts of first-degree murder with special circumstances of multiple killings. Lawyers actually convinced that the LAPD to allow Simpson to turn himself in at 11 a.m. on June 17, 1994. Although the double murder charge meant that no bail would be set and first-degree murder conviction could result in the death penalty, more than a thousand reporters waited for Simpson at the police station. But surprise, he did not arrive. And at 2 p.m., the LAPD issued an all-points bulletin. At 5 p.m., Robert Kardashian read a quote-unquote suicide letter by Simpson to the media. In the letter, Simpson sent greetings to 24 friends and wrote, First, everyone understand I had nothing to do with Nicole's murder. Don't feel sorry for me. I've had a great life. Some interpreted this as a suicide note. Like I stated earlier, Simpson's mother Eunice collapsed after hearing it, and reporters joined the search for Simpson. Now, Simpson's lawyer Robert Shapiro was present at Kevin Eschen's press conference and said that Simpson's uh, psychiatrics uh, agreed with the suicide note interpretation. Through television, Shapiro appealed to Simpson to surrender, and I find it interesting because I really feel like this entire chase was was an act but then again I find him guilty so he's about to put on an Emmy winning uh, award again you you have to know that again OJ is an actor and I remember you had asked in part one like how uh, uh, he wasn't he's he's no Denzel he's no Denzel by any stretch of the imagination or, or, or Cuba Gooden Jr. for that matter who actually played OJ but I mean when he, at that point, he'd been acting for about 20 years, so he kind of knows when to, I guess, for the, the theatrics. And boy, was that chase, that, that 
that we are about to talk get into detail. Like, wow. Like, and I guess it's one of those things again. We're we're only two years old, right? Or a year when? Yeah, we don't know what the fuck. I guess it's one of those things that seminal moment where, and it's kind of the irony where today, as we're recording this, is the ten year anniversary of Michael Jackson's death. And it's like one of those things is that you know what you were doing when Michael Jackson died, right? Yeah. And obviously, I knew what, what, what he was doing, what I was doing when he died. And I guess for people of the generation before, like our parents, like they know what they were doing. Like I first, like everybody, like I was watching the NBA Finals, and they just cut to they cut to two ways, and I was watching TGIF, and it just. It was just, just like something that had never been. It was surreal. It really was surreal. So, news helicopters searched the Los Angeles highway system for Simpson's white Ford Bronco at around 6.20 p.m. Pacific time. Was it Pacific time or probably Eastern? But around 6.20 p.m., motorists in the Orange County notified that they saw someone believing to be Simpson riding in the Bronco on the I-5 freeway heading north driven by his longtime friend, Al Collins. Now, the police tracked calls placed from Simpson on a cell phone, and police officer Ruth Dixon saw the Bronco head north on Interstate 405, and when she caught up to him, Collins yelled out that OJ was in the back seat of the vehicle and had a gun to his own head, and the officer backed off but followed the vehicle at 35 miles per hour with up to 20 police cars following her in the chase. So get this. We, we watched those, you know those, uh, the the shows where it'd be like the wildest car chases and shit, right? And yeah, those go, those goes 80, 90 miles an hour. And then, again, that just adds, it adds to the dramatic flair. You have... The, do anything wrong, why is he going on this crazy chase and wanting that? Right, but... Life was wonderful. You have, you might be able to cut you off, but you have this revered and beloved celebrity who is fixing to go to jail for double murder of his ex-wife and her friend, and he's in the back of his car about to commit suicide, and it's on TV, and millions, hundreds of millions of people are seeing the slowest car police chase imaginable, like 35 miles an hour, it's what he, like, I... It's... He knew exactly what he was doing. Mm-hmm. He knew he was doing it. Right. But, but... It was all fact, and it still points to him being guilty. Like, why would you put on a big act if you weren't guilty? Mm-hmm. But think about this, Cam. As OJ writes on the subsequent note, and the suicide note and Chase, he had meant what he written. He said he had lived a wonderful life, but it was over now. It was time to check out. I looked at the magnum, quote-unquote, in my lap and checked to make sure it was loaded. It was. And just then I heard Dan Rather's voice on the radio. We have now learned the police have been to Mr. Simpson's house six or seven times on domestic abuse calls. What the fuck, motherfucker, he said. And that's when AC got back to the truck, still zipping up his fly, and saw the magnum in my hand. And I guess he snapped, too. For different reasons. Man, put that fucking gun down, he shouted at me. What the fuck are you doing with that thing? But I wasn't listening to him. I was listening to more of Dan Rather's bullshit. 
We're now learning that Mr. Simpson has a long history with the Los Angeles Police Department. Yada, yada, yada. And OJ says that he is shouting at the radio, You ain't learned shit, motherfucker. OJ seems camp. OJ either, and I think you said, like, you have it pegged down. This is nothing but an acting performance. But he's come to this aha, alas, Oprah, Jesus moment, come to Jesus moment from there. He makes up in his mind that he's not going to commit suicide, that he's going to fight this. Out of nowhere, out of nowhere, when, when he is about to kill himself, we don't know why he wants to kill himself. Then all of a sudden someone degrades and belittles his ego and he needs to prove a point. He gets all angry about, shows his anger and aggression about domestic abuse calls. And why does he just casually have all these weapons just on him? And why are his friends so casual about it? Mm-hmm. Like, why would... Why would, quote-unquote, Charlie take the knife away just to use it? Like, if I'm taking the knife away from you, none of us are touching it. Right. If you have a block in my fucking car, I'm jumping out of the car and running. I don't care if you're my friend or not. Why the fuck is it in my car? Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. I, w- I should know that it's in my car. Yeah. So and, that's... And, and it's, just, uh, it's just one of those things is that everything, again, you have to kind of, like, have that perspective of, of is he you know just doing the in the mannerisms and the way the actions he's he's doing it like this is another reason why I can't seem to think it was his son because this happened so quickly mm-hmm. like how can you think about this huge act and thing you're gonna do quote unquote to protect your son all within what three days Mm-hmm. And, and like he didn't even interact with his kid, like his son, like that to plan something. Yeah. And and when it was all said and done, Cam, more than nine news helicopters eventually joined the pursuit. And the high degree of media participation caused camera signals to appear on incorrect television channels. This is how wild it was. You had uh, people. I think it was the um, ABC News. Uh, they when they had broken for breaking news and they called a so-called expert and it turned out to be um, a prank caller from the Howard Stern show or it was a, a listener from the Howard uh, a fan from the Howard Stern show who was prank calling ABC News like it was that like talk about how chaotic that was and again a hundred million people was watching this chase as it happened a hundred million people for to 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 give a a uh, a big significance of this, only 95 million people watched that year's Super Bowl. Oh, wow. <clears throat> people, this is a lot. People were getting out of their cars over the overpass, and they had signs of, like, go, OJ, go, run, juice, the juice is loose. Like, this is, like, it's something that you can, I guess it's one of those things that I wish I was, a, well, not that I was a lot, that I was, a, you know, cognizant to see this you know happening don't understand why i mean i guess like this would happen like the biggest celebrity now but like i'm just still confused it's like why did everyone pull over for him why did the Mm -hmm. police not i mean again it was all for 25 years ago i'm thinking it's like you know all happened today and everything 
So so OJ goes to eventually he goes to his mansion and he surrenders there and we fast forward to seven months when finally, finally the tribe of the century commences and boy, I don't know if have you seen the People vs. OJ? I've been trying to watch it but it hasn't been loading, so probably once we move we'll probably look into that again. Oh man. Great great fucking show. Oh I know, I've been trying to watch it. Um but like you're saying, um after seven months, um, O.J. Simpson turns himself in, fast-forwarding to the beginning of the trial of the century, like you're stating. This actually started on January 24, 1995. So let's talk about the prosecution team a bit. You have uh, Marcia Clark, who is a seasoned attorney, a self-described trial junkie, if you must, who, when she took the Simpson case, publicly exclaimed that she had never had more evidence in any trial. That's um, that's a pretty confident, bold statement. Right. Then you had Christopher Darden, who was originally the case manager after Clark, and the original co-prosecutor of uh, William Hogman, who, <coughs> excuse me, resigned uh, with the defense motions and filings. After Hodgman suffered a medical setback before the opening statement, Darden stepped in and replaced him. Now. Darden began the trial via prosecution's opening statement by simply establishing that Simpson was an abusive husband and a jealous lover of Nicole Brown Simpson. Now, to me, that's not far off. Um, but Darden actually told the jurors if he couldn't have her, he didn't want anybody else to have her. Now, Clark, on the other hand, focused on the actual compelling evidence that that would actually prove that Simpson was guilty. And then the defense's opening statement. Well, we have to just start with the fucking dream team. And that consisted of Robert Shapiro, Johnny Cochran, Robert Kardashian, Barry Sheck, Kevin Ewell, F. Lee Bailey, and Alan Dershowitz, among others. And originally Shapiro, who Simpson Camp said had hired in the days after the murders, was the chair of the defense. But midway during... Simpson decided to switch with Johnny Cochran, and it's Cochran was the one who, in defense statement on January 25th, questioned the veracity of the evidence, saying that there were mitigating factors that caused the evidence to be contaminated and compromised, which we talked a little bit of uh, earlier in the episode. And the prosecution started their case, and it took three months, Cam. Three fucking months. Now, usually trials of this nature runs two, three weeks, let alone three months by one side of the spectrum. But when it was all said and done, they called over 70 witnesses. Could you imagine, uh, like, and I, when I covered, when I covered my, uh, it's kind of, kind of weird. I was talking to one of the court reporters, uh, when I covered the Curtis Loveless case, which you guys can find in the archives on Illinois uh, podcast at Stitcher or SoundCloud or Apple Podcast, cheap plug. And he had said something to the effect of, This is our version, this is our OJ. And I guess it's pretty much when a small town has a high profile murder case where it is so big that it's, you know, it's kind of like when you say something like, Oh, I'm the Michael Jordan of duck hunting or some shit like that. Like, 
that's how big this case was. I mean, it didn't it shook according when they said this was the trial of the century. But, well, that the daily death. And so, among the highlights for the prosecution was the testimony of Alan Park, the limo driver who picked up OJ to the airport en route to Chicago. And according to Park, he arrived at the Simpson residence in Rockingham at 10.25 p.m. to pick OJ up and rang the doorbell repeatedly but received no answer. Shortly before 11 p.m., Park said that he saw a shadowy figure, black, tall, about 200 pounds, and wearing dark clothes, walking up to the driveway and entering the house. A few minutes later, though, Simpson emerged, telling Park that he had overslept, and Park had testified that as O.J. entered the limo, he carried the small black bag, which the prosecution hoped that the jury would conclude contained the murder weapon, and Park testified that Simpson would not let him touch the bag. Now that's oddly peculiar. Um, usually if I see a shadowy uh, figure, black tall, about 200 pounds, who might match the description of OJ, uh, you would think the prosecution would look into that. So what Simpson did was actually use a house guest, uh, Cato Kalin, uh, testified that he and O.J. returned from McDonald's for Big Macs and French fries at exactly 9.36 p.m. Now, again, that's a specific time. Um, usually you say, you know, 9.30, 9.40, 9.45, sometime around there. But mm -hmm. 9.36? 9.36 p.m. Really specific. After that, Kaylin claims he couldn't account for Simpson's whereabouts. He did tell of hearing thumps on his wall just before 11 p.m. And... This is about the same time that Park witnessed the shadowy figure enter the house. The prosecution also uh, produced telephone records that showed Simpson used his car cell phone to call his girlfriend at the time, Paula uh, Barbieri, I believe, at 10.03 p.m. No. Now, additionally... It's kind of funny before you uh, go on. Remember, 10.03 was that time when O.J. said that when he ran into... Charlie. But he's on the phone with Paula. Hmm. So, again, very coincidental times. Now, additionally to that, Denise Brown, the sister of Nicole, testified about talking about the years of abuse that Nicole had suffered at the hands of OJ. And she made, at least in the court of public opinion, um, because it's really... Uh, I think when the public perception changes of whether or not people believed O.J. was guilty or innocent, but it, there was evidence that he was abusive, regardless of what the public says. There was documentation, and it's hard to look other than what they saw in front of him. There was never documentation of her being abusive, abusive to him, um, just him being abusive to her. And... I think in the beginning of all this, there was much more public support, given all the goodwill he built up over the past few decades. But just like that, it was very, very divided, and really much more substantially started to become along racial lines. There were polls all over the country. While majority of African Americans believed in OJ's innocence, every other race thought otherwise. Now... This plays into a role, especially nowadays, because race has become a very um, circumstantial conversation as of late. Um, so it's interesting that 
these polls, I don't know if we can, I, we would have to pull them again. Right. Um, that these polls were so, you know, one-sided. Each side, you know, mm-hmm. it was so specific. Mm-hmm. And, and it's, it's interesting because the prosecution began to put forward witnesses that were directly tying Simpson to the two murders. They were using collected evidence of the results of blood, hair, fiber, and even a footprint analysis from the Bundy crime scene in Simpson's rocking hand home. The most compelling testimony, if one assumed the accuracy of the testing concerned, two RFLP tests. So that's like restriction test. fragment length polymorphism. Totally Google that shit. Nice. <laughs> so the first test found that blood found at the crime scene could have only been one out of 170 million sources of blood. And that O.J. Simpson fit the profile. So that's pretty black and white right there. Mm-hmm. Second came from blood found on the two black socks at the foot of O.J.'s bedroom, which was actually one out of 168 million. But for all of the prosecution's extensive work in proving their case, there were two big blunders that would define, at least in the public perception, uh, the work that the prosecution had did. Now, Mark Furman, the detective who had found the bloody glove, had testified for the prosecution on March 9th and 10th to verify what he found. But three days later, F. Lee Bailey began a bullying cross-examination of Furman in which he asked the detective whether, in the past 10 years, he had ever used the N-word. Now, Furman replied that he absolutely had never done so. But, Cam, as it turned out, Furman had lied as the audio tape had shown up in the 1980s where he was freely using that word. And that's the last thing, it's the, like the last thing the prosecution wants when you have a jury of eight African Americans who still have the race riots of 1992 in mind that emanated from the Rodney King beatdown by four LAPD cops that got exonerated. So, if you think about it as well, um, as you were stating earlier, or as we were talking about earlier, that nobody didn't know about this OJ right. case. It was universal. Everybody knew what was going on. Mm-hmm. So it's very hard to find jurors that don't know anything about this case. And after the polls, it's very hard to find jurors it's, that yeah. don't already have it. And I guess when you when you talk about earlier with the racial lines, and that's that's the really kind of like fucked up slippery slope when it goes to the end because we're you're not looking at the case in hand when you have two victims who senselessly lost their lives you know over and let's presumptively say it's OJ did because he was in a jealous rage if he couldn't have her nobody now you're throwing in account the years of the systematic injustice that African Americans have faced particularly by the LAPD, and now you're throwing in that reasonable doubt with the detective, the main detective on the investigation, who is shown to be a clear racist again. When you have, you're only a few years removed from the riots. You're only a few years removed from the Rodney King situation. You're 20 years removed from the other LA PD riot, uh, the riots from the LAPD caused by the LAPD. But I mean, when you have a history of that. And to the, in the court of public opinion, especially towards African Americans, 
that's going to resonate. They're going to think, oh, man, the fix is in. Here's the LAPD going back to their old tricks. And again, it's that fucked up slippery slope when you're not looking at two victims who innocently lost their lives. You're thinking, okay, they're, they're trying to set the brother up. So that's where you have that racial divide. And that's what makes it crazy, too, is that, you know, a lot of, you know, we're trying to be as progressive as possible. And um, it's crazy to think how far we haven't come. You know, we for a while we were really, you know, making a step forward as an entire nation. And I just feel like that's crashed and burned as of late. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, I mean, how many... How many cases have we done? I mean, how many episodes have we done, like, with the, um, oh, God, uh, Jasper, Texas episode? Um, we've done a few episodes that's touched on race, Laquan McDonald, and it seems it's one of those deals is that we've come a long way, but we have further long ways to go before we ever want to truly... we want to change, but we... We aren't changing the laws. We're just speaking mm-hmm. out, and that's not going to do anything until the laws are right. changed. But, but and mm-hmm. oh, oh, yeah, you, 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 I don't want to, you're on the road. Oh, it was, you know, like I, like we've been talking about in literally every case, is it's very black and white, and regardless of, you know, the prosecution and how this poll has been going on the. Simpson case, it, a lot had to do with him being famous, a lot had to do with him having money and being the center of attention, and, you know, it, a lot has to do with 1994 being advanced, still, but still being a time where things were still held behind closed doors, you, you know, just mm-hmm. behind closed doors, right. and you know, who thinks the famous all-star that everybody loves and is in their home would do that to their wife. Yeah, and, and, and we alluded to that in the previous episode. It's like, you know, we live in different times in that regard of domestic violence. And again, you don't have social media uh, in 1994. Like, if you have the the public awareness is today, again, with Me Too, if you have, mm-hmm. again, with what happened when he was when he had the domestic assault charge in 1989 if you have me too and then in that era and if you have social media um they would still be alive we wouldn't be talking about this and he he wouldn't got he wouldn't got the slap on the wrist that pretty much he did which allowed more years of abuse and unfortunately you know this violent end that she met nicole did and if, you know, the case is that, you know, he did do it because he didn't want her with anybody else, it's, mm-hmm. it's a terrible, terrible cycle to be a part of and to be a victim of that situation. And, you know, somebody's not going to change until they decide they want to change. And right. so if you're ever in that situation, mm-hmm. please, please save yourself. Nothing is more important than your own own life and you know people need to understand that you know life mm-hmm. does go on after a breakup or after a relationship you know you've done it before you know most people who are in relationships have had at, a, at this point in our life have had you know encounters with the you know 
people they're interested in and things like that and shouldn't have an understanding that life does go on if some something doesn't work out relationship wise or if you have a crush on someone and but you should never ever think you 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 deserve to be hit or anything of that nature Mm -hmm. because you don't on both sides either side of the spectrum yeah yeah exactly right so getting back to Furman and here's here's the eye opener during this uh testimony Bailey was able to get Furman to plead the fifth in response to key aspects of the case, including planting evidence, thereby undermining Furman's credibility as a witness. And then it would later be determined that Furman would plead, I believe, no contest to uh, perjury. Um, and his career was all by ruin. And uh, unsurprisingly so, he ended up working as a Fox News contributor. So take that for what you will. But... Um, when you plead the fifth, like, that doesn't make you, you know, come off well. Like, if you, if you are, you know, when it comes to matters of planning evidence, like, if you haven't, you would say, okay, I haven't, but then again, you've already lied. Like, what would you, what do you make of Furman pleading the fifth? You know? It's, you know... From what I, from how I was raised, you know, many plead the fifth so they don't have to talk about what they've done. You mm-hmm. know, you don't plead the fifth because you're innocent. Right. Well, but, I mean, he already got but, crossed up with saying he didn't say nigger. Then he said they found um, that he lied. So it's just, is it one of those deals where, okay, if, even if I, you know, even if I think that it was right, I'm just going to plead the fifth because they might say they might have something on my ass even though I think that it's not the case, or maybe he had planted evidence, and again, this is the LAPD we're talking about? Yeah, see, we don't know, but, like, that's the thing, if there was planted, that's that's the thing is, let's say it was so close to the, you know, the, the riots in California and L.A. that, you know, people are still heated, people are still very one-sided, so... You know, it comes down to the case of, you know, like the Stephen Avery case going on. Was it planted? Was it not? And at that time, everyone's thinking the cops suck, you know. Mm -hmm. Screw the cops. They're not for us. And, you know, and people forget that police officers are are people too, you know, are also people. um, I'm not saying any of the rights were acceptable by any means, but I'm saying if you're still heated and you're still mad about a situation and then something like this comes up again of course you're going to be against them immediately you're already biased because you have something against them it's it's, a, it's the idea of why you a juror has to be neutral but if you know anything about the case you're not neutral because you already have an opinion of it as we've seen on facebook absolutely so you know, there's a lot of people that are, you know, believe that it's O.J. Simpson. There's a lot of people that believe that, you know, O.J. had help. And I, I firmly believe that O.J. did have help, you know. I don't know if it was just this mysterious Charlie that nobody ever saw or spoke of again. Um, Maybe he's covering up for some somebody, particular relative. Maybe he, his son was a part of it, but, you know... I have, you know, I still stand by my side that, you know, OJ, even if it was his son who helped OJ, I feel like was the main um, cause. And then you have the whole, you know, 
if it does not fit, you must acquit. But you know, there mm. were and which we'll get into in a second. Uh, yes. So, as it comes to when it came to Furman, the blame would fall on Marsha Clark. Marsha Clark. Who the fuck is Marsha Clark? What the fuck? You getting guys at about ten thirty? Yeah, you know. But it would fall on Marsha Clark, whose idea was to put Furman on. But Darden pretty much said, "Hold my beer," and confident that the bloody gloves belonged to OJ, he decided to make a dramatic courtroom demonstration. He would ask OJ, in few view of the jury, to try on the gloves worn by Nicole's killer. And Judge Lance Edo asked the bailiff to escort OJ to a position near the jury box. Now, Darden had instructed Simpson, pull them on, pull them on. And Simpson seemed to struggle with the gloves, then said, they don't fit. See, they don't fit. Later, it would turn out that there were good reasons why they didn't fit. The gloves probably shrunk because of the blood, and photos would show up, turn up showing Simpson wearing ill-fitting gloves, but the damage had been done. And also, um, on the ESPN documentary OJ Made for America, um, there was uh, this guy interviewed, I think. Um, I think he was also associated to OJ when he got popped for... Uh, when he got popped for the kidnapping and robbery, kidnapping, robbery, he's he's stealing his own memorabilia, which I just found comical. But he had mentioned something that for somebody, for somebody who had arth, he uh, had arthritis, and he said, okay, I know they're going to have, because the the defense anticipated that Darden was going to try to do the gloves, so OJ's friend. Uh, had suggested that he stop taking his arthritis medication that way because one of the side effects of the medication is the hands will start to swell up and yeah so I mean when he said that again I, I don't know if it's sensationalized if he's just doing it just to say what but I mean that's just pretty fucking wild if that's what's actually happened and we have to remember too that um like you're staying with the glove it was a leather glove and like uh we had an individual in the comments you know make out a good point that if you know anything about leather the only way to you know expand it or move it once it's set and shrunken is to get it wet and from what it sounded like is the the glove was extremely wet which could have in fact not only dried it but shrunken it as well mm -hmm. And as oh, as Johnny Cochran would offer, which perhaps the most memorable line of the trial, if it doesn't quit, you must acquit. And, and if it doesn't fit, you mm, must acquit. Yep. So the defense, <laughs> uh, like, oh man, again that line is just like, like, what the fuck? If it don't fit, you must like, was it just rhyming and shit? I guess that's just, you know, when you say something like that. It's just going to go to pop, pop culture jargon and shit. So the defense takes over and they just run that Furman car down like Julio does Gangster's Paradise. But one of the integral witnesses for the defense was forensic expert Henry Lee. And Lee had questioned the evidence with blood spatter demonstrations, offering his suggestion that shoe print evidence suggested more than one assailant. And his simple conclusion about the prosecution's DNA test, quote-unquote, something's wrong. And this bowl was huge because 
again, this is the first time that DNA is ever used in a murder trial of this public magnitude. And as we've been talking about, uh, as we talked about earlier, DNA in 1994 is not advanced as it is today. And it wasn't as valuable in the public's mind then as it was now. I mean, you, you're, like, like you said earlier, Cam, they're fucking solving cold case murders through ancestry. And that is driven by DNA tests. So that's just how, that's how, again, how valuable it is in the public essence, in the mind, DNA is today. Again, as it was 25 years ago. It's crazy to see how much it exploded in, you know, in the science world and in the justice system. And it's really, you know, really, it was really put the assailant at the crime. You know, mm-hmm. there's no other way to connect you than with your blood. Yeah. And it made a big impression, not on the public, but also to the jury. According to jury foreman Amanda Cooley, she called Lee a very impressive gentleman. And another juror described Lee as the most credible witness, a person who, quote-unquote, had a lot of impact on a lot of people. I do find it interesting, though, um, that you were stating earlier, um, I forgot what I was going to say. I'm trying to find the note I wrote wrote down, but um, once I remember, I'll I'll let you know. Mm Mm-hmm. Go on. So... As it's, when, when it's all over, the trial lasts 133 days, costs $15 million to California taxpayers, and again, it's everything they're, they're, and everybody involved in this trial got famous. I mean, Cam, everybody, the fucking judge, you have, you have freaking you have you know we OJ have the kardashians to, to, to blame we, we we have oj to blame for the kardashians in essence <laughs> but like oj was the biggest thing since sliced bread then and he got away with a case that was worldwide world news and on top of that you're using a brand new scientific testing that nobody's ever paid attention to either and on top of that you got shitty Hundred fucking million? That is yeah. fucking so insane. That just shows how much, how many people were fucking watching. Mm-hmm. And how important this was to the world and everybody's reputation. Um, like we were stating, um, there was long distance telephone call volume that declined by fifty eight percent. The trading volume on the New York Stock Exchange decreased by forty one percent. Water usage decreased as people avoided using the bathrooms just to watch this. And so much work stopped that the verdict cost an estimated of $480 million in lost productivity. And so that's unbelievably, like, don't get me wrong. I feel like the case should have been focused on Nicole Brown since and Ron Goldman. You know, 
they deserve to have their voices heard, not somebody who literally, I feel like, did this to keep his name afloat. Mm-hmm. But, but Kill people. For to, all to keep that, his name going. for all those numbers, when the jury found OJ not guilty, and one thing that that kind of stuck with me is the reactions. Like, you have... I remember watching... This is like on YouTube uh, many months ago. Um, they had the Oprah... They had Oprah's show, and she's recording the audience in her studio, their reaction as it's happening. And you see... It's pretty much a microcosm of... The, the division concerning this case you had black one you had the black people in the audience like like they wow. like they fucking won something and the price is right just oh boy oh my yeah, God, that's yeah, just, yeah. and then white people and then white people are just like and probably one of the most baffling things that i remember so oprah interviews uh, one of uh, one of the audience members, and I think it was a black lady, and she asked, "Why did you, why did you, you know, react in the way you did?" And then she said something to the effect of, "Oh, I'm so happy for their, you know, their 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 children." Or something. It was something to that effect, and it was just like you do realize that that was their mother who was killed. <laughs> yes, exactly, and it it throws me off because people took away the actual people's lives that were lost mm -hmm. and focused on an individual who for me I believe killed them and right. it's it's not fair to the family it's not fair to the the victims and it's it's not fair in general and it, and it has like I was stating it has nothing to do with race it has to do with the fact that someone literally annihilated two mm -hmm. people it was like on both sides, and I mean on extreme sides. Like you just have just these, so these these weird, re these weird reactions. And the reason I said it, I remember it was uh, alluding to that lady's on the Oprah's uh, on Oprah's show, uh, her mm -hmm. statement. And then you had another guy. You had a guy who was interviewed, um, and he had said something. This was the worst. Uh, he had lost all faith in the justice system. This was one. This was the worst decision in the history of the American justice system. I think he had said, and I mean, you just <coughs> like you when you when you see somebody say something like that again. Yes, the the crime, This was a very divisive case. Make no make no bones about it, and one can really argue that. The justice system failed. It did. Like, Nicole and, and Ron. There is a legitimate argument in there. Really is. But really when is. you have... When you have the detectives... Not, you know... When you have the, case, the, the troubles on set... And you didn't have the prosecution... Not, you know, having those blunders the way they did... It, it, exactly. it's, a, it's a team effort. And it's... It if, let's say, his abuse from what was recorded was addressed sooner, mm -hmm. they could still be alive today. And I find it a very, very odd coincidence that 
I'm not saying Robert Kardashian deserved to die of throat cancer, because nobody deserves to die of cancer. But I find it ironic that that's how literally Nicole Simpson and Ron Goldman were literally pretty much decapitated. Like, they were stabbed to death in the neck. And I... I'm not saying I I just find it an odd coincidence and mm-hmm. I feel like the person who did it OJ Simpson should be the one suffering not the people around him does that make sense yeah yeah I mean I don't, the, the I guess the unfortunate thing is like when you have it's very hard for me because I started when we start, even a year back, when we just brainstorming, and I was like, well, you know, I don't know if he did it. Maybe, you know, all these, you know, mitigating factors, what have you. And then I read the book. And then I watched the, the confession video, If I Did It, which aired on Fox last year. And, and oh, man, if we, uh, and guys, and I really, if you haven't listened, if you haven't watched it, I strongly encourage you do so. It again, and I still believe that maybe uh, his son. This probably there's there's that theory, but then when you have this man hypothetically saying, "I remembered and I recall," you don't do that when you when you uh, yeah. talk about a hypothetical you scenario. Specific. You don't have specific times. You don't have you know. Mm-hmm. If you weren't, shouldn't be remembering every step and every move. Right. And drives me crazy and even more is he literally put himself at the crime But, but even more disturbing, Cam, when he is like, he's describing this stuff. And at the end, when he's saying, oh, something, you know, I can't, something happened. I can't, you know, get into detail. But as he's saying it, he's laughing. You need to see this yeah. shit. Like he is fucking laughing, and it is like, who, who in their right mind, who in their right mind would have that kind of reaction? I get that people all react differently, but it mm-hmm. didn't like a nervous laugh. It seemed like a very meticulous, evil laugh. Right. And which is, which is, there, there is. Some some justice that did happen in this. In 1996, uh, Fred Goldman and Sharon Ruffo, the parents of Ron Goldman, filed a civil lawsuit against Simpson for wrongful death, while Brown's estate, uh, represented by Nicole's father, Lou Brown, brought suit against Simpson. So when all of that was over, O.J. was found liable in the deaths of Nicole and Ron, and he was ordered to pay about $33.5 million in damages. So... You know, although it was, you know, the case, he was found not guilty, and, you know, we can't do anything about that mm-hmm. now. You know, to this day, this will be an, an argument. Um, yeah, but, but the thing is, like, I don't even think he's paid. If he's paid anything, it's barely a fraction. Because, like, it, it's... um. And that was part of the reason why he moved to Florida because that's one of the few states where you don't, when you have a situation like that, you don't have to worry about people coming after your assets. Yeah. And, and that's what... Oh, my bad, to cut you off, but, like, he gets a pension from the NFL 
and I think it's something in the ballpark of I want to say two and a half million a year. Oh my god! And the Goldman family or the Brown family can't touch that. That's terrible, and and they're the ones who lost somebody. Mm-hmm. And you were saying OJ actually moved the border in two thousand, um, and his funds all liquidated, and but he was protected, like you're saying. However, in 2007, he once again got in trouble via an incident in Las Vegas. And this is actually regarding an attempt to steal materials Simpson claimed were stolen from him. And so he was actually convicted in 2008 of multiple felonies, including the use of a deadly weapon. Hmm, odd coincidence. Wanting to commit murder, or not murder, sorry, kidnapping, burglary, armed robbery, so all things that seem coincidental, and he was sentenced to a minimum nine years to maximum thirty-three years in prison. So if you guys just wanted to know, he was released last year and got a Twitter what last week? Last week, and again when people and I, and I kind of find it funny when people are like, "Oh, move on, this is such in the past," as you saw in the Facebook comments. But when he made that tweet, it broke the internet. Yeah, like so people he, are. People aren't remembering him anymore. Mm-hmm. And if you've seen those comments... Yeah. It he's is. not... He's not... He doesn't have any shame anymore. He's... He's a free man. He's a free man. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, that is the O.J. Simpson uh, saga, the two parts. Um, I guess when it's all said and done, if we, talk, we probably talked about this for about three hours. So, uh, pretty much ran over the you know, basics, the, um, uh, the theories of what we think happened. Again, I guess at the end of the day, just to, to end it up, I will incline to kind of give the benefit of the doubt to the theory that perhaps his son, Jason, again, go back to the part one for the reasons why I believe that it's possible that because I've been on the fence the last couple of weeks, but it's so... OJ had... I, I think we're, we're, we'll be in agreement in that OJ has something to do with it. If not, if he didn't have the knife in his hand, he was probably Charlie, and he's... But, but I... He had something to do with it. At worst, at worst, it's... Uh, um, was it accessory to murder or, or whatnot? But, yeah. But he was... It's all a part of it, and he's as guilty as this other character, Charlie, who Charlie. many believe could possibly, perhaps, be Jason. Mm. Um, you know, there, like we stated earlier, there is evidence that um, Jason's blood was there due to new DNA. Um, however, I do have this question. I know the individual who talked about it. Um, stated that there was DNA evidence it was Jason's, but right. my question is, you know, was was it 100% his, or was it, oh, this, you know, this blood Because of the type, familial blood. Was the blood type matched OJ 100, well, not 100%, but 1 in 70 million, so mm-hmm. how can it also, I mean, I can see how it can mostly match Jason, but I'm still stuck on how it's how his blood type plays a role when there's evidence that it was OJ's. Yeah. 
Yeah, and I guess it's one of those things that's like, how, that's it, how did the blood, it's so many questions, how did that blood, Ron and Nicole's blood, get into the Bronco? What happened to the black bag? Um, how did OJ get that cut? It's just so many questions that it's never... Mm-hmm. And then when you have the, uh, the component of If I Did It, the book, where you just have this asinine, in my opinion, um, scenario, and then, oh, and I guess we'll leave it, well, we'll end it right here. Uh, at the end of if I, uh, the, the confession, the video confession on uh, Fox, he mentions after all this is said and done, OJ goes to Nicole's grave, and he is yelling at Nicole. He's cursing cursing cam and the people at the cemetery are beats me and it and i guess it's that rage like i do not for the life of me you talk about this is the love of your life and he said that oh i'm going to go get the murderers when after he gets acquitted and then that shit and it just like and it scares the people at the cemetery so much that they call the brown family like oh my god he's here and he's like yelling at nicole's grave yeah that's insane it is. So, and if you love somebody that wasn't you, you wouldn't be going to their grave and screaming at them. Yeah. It so is. it's just, there's, I see if, you know, I see why people think it's Jason, but I just feel like they're... And that's so, an, I see why people think it's OJ, and I see why you think it's OJ, and you're not going to get an argument from me out of it. You are not when you just have you just have all just the book alone and his yeah. his reaction and laughing, man, man. I I, I wonder if you do that poll again. If they if they if they do the poll in two thousand and nineteen, and again you still have it's still like as you saw Cam on the 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 Facebook post. You're going to have the people who still think that, you know, he's innocent. But I would like to see just a poll, especially from racial lines. I don't think it's going to be that, you know, strong in terms of African-Americans thinking that, oh, he... I'm thinking that, yeah, I think there's a lot of black people now. It's like, oh, yeah, that, that, that nigga did it. I think um, they should, you know, do a poll before... And then they should do a poll after they, like, review the first, mm-hmm. his, case, his entire case. Because it wouldn't be fair if it wasn't the same case they were viewing. Which many would say would be guilty. Yeah. So. Well, yeah. There is, again, the story of O.J. Simpson. Wow, Cam. Uh, might as well just do it right now. It's been one year. And some change that we started. Um, we're going to do a little uh, mini hiatus. I know you have a lot of stuff that you're going to be doing on the burner for the next several weeks or so. Uh, moving. Uh, pretty sure you have a few weddings you have to do. You got your birthday you got to plan for. Oh, yeah, yeah. And um, like I said, by that time, we will have uh, actual equipment. So we're going to be top tip shape running. Um, like I said, we're going to be gone for a little while. Uh, but again, you can find us on SoundCloud. You can find us on Apple Podcast. You can find us 
on Stitcher. We have about almost 40 episodes in the archives where you can binge and in some. So um, if not, if you haven't ever heard of us, again, you've got a lot of where this has come from. And again, guys, thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much um, for being with us, giving us uh, um, uh, feedback. Good or bad, even bad, it's good because it allows us to, to to grow and know where we fuck up and then we're trying to get better. We're nowhere near where we think we should be, but slowly but surely we're going to be the best damn podcast that we can be. And I personally, you know, I couldn't have done this. Um, I have the best, best fucking um, podcast partner that I can hope for. Uh, it's been one hell of a ride this last year and some change, and yeah, man, you're the real MVP. Yo, you just stole my thunder. I've always <laughs> believe had a podcast, so um, so I'm excited. I'm really excited to see where we take this. You know, we're starting to figure out our groove and you know what you guys like and what you guys don't like, and we can only go up from here. So yay, I'm excited. Yeah. So, um, you can find Cam on Twitter on I Like Stuff 630. You can find her on IG with Instacam630. And you can find her on Facebook on Cam E. Ren. That's Cam E. Ren, R Y N. You can find Birdman under Alex Camp. Um, you can find him, oh, on Facebook under Alex Camp, if you guys wanted to know. You can find him on the, the gram of Insta under bird underscore your underscore enthusiasm. And then finally, you can find him on the Twitter at Birdman for America. I just like how it just, it just comes out natural, like we just know our different ones, and I don't know anybody else's shit. It's like, like we know each other or something. Oh, man, Jesus Christ, get out of my head. God, ah! But, um, yeah. uh, guys, again, thank you so much. Um, we will be back soon. I don't know when, but we will be back soon. And we have a drove of cases that we're going to be doing on the burner. Um, we're going to be talking about uh, JFK. We're going to keep it big. We're going to talk about JFK. And the link that it has in Chicago. Um, we're going to be talking about the mob. We're going to be talking about, um, I'm sure we're going to be talking about... This case with the missing, the missing student from the University of Illinois, um, the murder case that's wrapped up. Oh, that's should be wrapped up by now. Yeah, we've got a lot of stuff that we're gonna get our creative juices flowing, and you know we're gonna do it the only way we know how, and to be unfiltered, raw, uncut, and best best you know that we can be. So again, guys, thank you so much for Cam. This is Bird riding off, signing off. Um, this is Killinois. Be there or Freak. bitches. Ah.